Let's see here. I want to know. I want to know from you. If you're allowed to tell me, are you allowed to say what JD stands for? I think that's what most sure. of the people are here to find out. Uh, yeah, so I my birth certificate says James David Ingram, but my I think my mom had a friend who went by his initials or something like that, and she thought it was really cool. And it wasn't JD, it was like PJ or something like that, but she was like, oh man, my son's going to go by his initials and be really cool too. Mm-hmm. So I've always been JD. And so is it, do you feel like this is the main reason you are so cool? <laughs> uh, it, I mean, it certainly doesn't hurt. Yeah. Did you, have you ever considered um, a career or even just, um, you know, doing kind of like moonlighting as a DJ, DJ JD? That would be uh, clever, but I have, I don't know, it's never, the, the DJ life never really spoke to me. Mm. Seems like it's a lot of standing around and staying up late, and I'm not really good at either of those things. What you like is standing around in the burning sun in a kilt instead. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> During the day. Going uh, on parades. That's right. Well, let's, let's dig into that. I want you to tell me, if you would, um, starting from the day your mother decided you would go by your initials, where did you grow up? What was your life like as... as lowercase jd as young jd and um at what point did your life encounter bagpipes take me that far okay um so i was born in new mexico most of my family's actually in the southwest texas new mexico arizona but my dad was a pilot so we traveled a lot and could pretty much live wherever there was an airport and um, Uh, like commercial parents Yeah, he flew gotcha. for Northwest and Delta and a couple other airlines over the years. Gotcha. And um, so they uh, decided when I was still fairly young that we needed to live in Tennessee. So mm. from the age of, I think I was six when we first moved to Tennessee, I lived in the Knoxville area. And did they have family there or did it just sound like a cool place to go? No, they just went all over. Um, I there I had a ancestor that lived in Tennessee in like the 1840s, but um, we have no immediate family in the in the region. Gotcha, gotcha. 1840s. So what one of, one of the very first white dudes in Tennessee, huh? Yeah, pretty much. Pretty uh, cool. My it, it's funny. You know, people ask if I'm Scottish or if my dad was Scottish, or whatever. And Ingram is is a Scottish spelling and a Scottish name. Uh, but it took literally, and when I did my family tree, we were going back well into the 1600s before we started finding people who were immigrating. Oh, like really? We've been, we've been American a lot longer than we were anything else. Yeah, yeah, they were some of the, some of the first, uh, some of the trendsetters, huh? That, yeah. That are some of the criminals that nobody wanted anywhere else. <laughs> that, probably a little bit of both. <laughs> yeah. Well, so so you grew up then in Knoxville. That's are you still are you still there in the Knoxville area now? I live in Charleston, South Carolina now. Ah, so yeah. Um, yeah, growing up in Tennessee, it was um, so that's actually where I got started on bagpipes. I my kind of why and uh, you know why bagpipe story, which I love asking people, and I, I appreciate that you ask people about how they got started because everybody's got a, a different one, and often the story is really entertaining. Yeah. But the um, so for me it was nine eleven. Oh. The you know when nine eleven happened and the like the whole 
basically the country just kind of stopped and watched in New York and uh, I remember seeing like the NYPD pipe band and you know, FDNY pipe band doing services and memorials on literally on the news 24-7 for weeks after that mm-hmm. and I was like man that's a cool instrument and a cool like talent that these guys can add this you know give back and add this emotion and and characterize you know capture kind of how the nation was feeling at the time I was like that that's pretty cool and at the time I was playing trumpet in the school band mm-hmm. and so I already had some kind of music training and musical interest and uh I, I remember telling my mom one night, I was like, hey, I think I want to play bagpipes. And she was like, really? Uh, all right, well, we'll see if we can find something. <laughs> so no precedent, it, like no neighbors who played, no uncles. Who no, played, didn't, like, didn't know any bagpipers. I, I don't think I'd seen bagpipes in the flesh at that point. Oh, really? But um, the, the Knoxville pipe band there had done something that got them in the newspaper. I don't remember what, maybe played at a local festival or St. Patrick's Day or something, I don't know. And um, there was contact info. And so my dad called and was like, hey, can you teach my son to play bagpipes? And the guy said, uh, yes. How, you know, how old is he? And I was, yeah, however old, I was like 12. And they were like, you know, that's, that's a fine age to, to start learning, but make sure he really wants to play bagpipes, you know, come, maybe come watch a practice, because we're really just a bunch of weird old dudes. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I remember my mom saying, oh, he'll fit right in. That's, that's <laughs> <laughs> a bunch of weird old dudes, that's perfect for yeah. my kid. <laughs> yeah, but uh, yeah, so I had, had my first lesson there in 2002, 20 years ago now. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, you've been at it a minute then. So is that the, uh, is that the Nashville Pipes and Drums? Knoxville, yeah. Um, Knoxville, so my bad, my bad. Yep. Gotcha. Yeah. Uh, and they're, they're still around doing well. Good band. But uh, I went to went to college in Atlanta, practiced a little bit with the Atlanta Pipe Band when I was there, but college was busy, so I kind of let it fall by the wayside. And then my first job out of college was here in South Carolina mm. and got plugged in with the Charleston Pipe Band. Gotcha. And have been here for 10 years now. Yeah. So, so you played with Knoxville, like, through high school, basically, right? Yeah, it's like five, six years total. Gotcha, gotcha. Cool, man. And so, like, during that time, you mentioned that you did play trumpet, um, so mm-hmm. you had some music stuff going on. Any other hobbies? What else was taking up your time when you were a kid? Um, I mean, East Tennessee's got the, the Tennessee River and it's got the mountains and stuff, so... Yeah, I enjoyed the outdoors, and, and uh, my dad was a pilot, so we still traveled a lot. But uh, mostly, I would say, music has always kind of been my main hobby hobby. I don't have any, like, you know, I'm not a, a big gamer. I'm not a knitter or craft arts and crafts type person. Yeah. Mostly music. Mostly music. All right on. So what did, once you got started with that group of weird, weird old guys, um... <laughs> how did your family deal with it from there on? Like, were they, did they remain, like, okay with it? Did they get enthusiastic about it? Like, did your mom turn into a real band mom and was at every single competition, you know? Like, how did it go with your family? Yeah, so uh, we were, it was funny, uh, my dad decided to take lessons with me. He he did not really have much musical background. He had 
been in like a rock band in high school and then had taken 40 years off of music. Um, so when he started taking lessons, I, you know, obviously young fingers and, and young mind and also actively in music classes, I was ready to compete within like nine months to a year. Mm -hmm. And he, after a year or two, got to the point where he could play like Scott and the Brave with the band. Um, and so he would come and do the parades and stuff and I would compete and mom was tagging along to do, you know, support both of us and was eventually convinced to be a tenor drummer in the band as mm -hmm. I feel like a lot of band moms are. It seems Classic, like. yep. That's pretty common. <laughs> that's, that's the move. <laughs> um, it's actually, it's funny. So at the time, our entire tenor core was my mom and Lyric Toddkill's mom, who's, uh, you may be familiar <laughs> with the name, he's played with the um, Sidney Frasers and uh, St. Thomas alumni yeah. and stuff over the years. He's a good piper. So you could change the, um, instead of calling it the midsection, you could call it the mom section. The mom section, there you go. Um, yeah, so they, both of them stuck with it uh, until I went to college, and then they, since I wasn't there to anchor them to it anymore, they left the band. Um, so yeah. then you went to college, you mentioned you played with the Atlanta Pipe Band just a little bit, and now you're with the Charleston Pipe Band. Now they are, I follow them on Instagram, if I'm not mistaken, they're the ones with the distinctive logo that looks like a ship, right? Yes, yeah, so the, the Charleston Band has had an, a fairly interesting history in the, I think, probably it's worth going back to the first group of bagpipers that I'm aware of in Charleston, which would be in the 50s, uh, General Mark Clark came back from World War II and was posted at the military college here in Charleston, the mm -hmm. um, Citadel, and said, man, those Brits had cool bagpipes with their military units. Let's have some at ours. So he got like four uh, cadets in the military school to learn to play bagpipes, probably really poorly from what I understand, mm -hmm. and had a small bagpipe band associated with the school starting back in the 50s. Oh, yeah. And um, in the 70s, they hired Sandy Jones, who is a, a fairly famous bagpiper. He runs the North American Academy of Piping and Drumming, which is one of the major schools on the East Coast. Um, he was pipe major of the U.S. Air Force Pipe Band when JFK died, so he led the funeral procession there. Mm. Um, like, pretty big name, especially on the East Coast, I think. But he was hired to be the Citadel teacher. And so I moved down to Charleston and had, uh, over the years, I think a number of private students as well as school students. Um, and so a, a decent group of bagpipers kind of developed in town. And I think over the course of the 70s and 80s, there was a couple short-lived pipe bands based in Charleston or Savannah, which is only about an hour and a half down the coast from us. Mm. And... Um, no don't sorry to interrupt you jd i just that name sandy jones sounded really familiar so i was just googling it that's i i know i i'd seen it on the front of one of those learn to play bagpipes books one of the more popular yes. ones that people show up to practice with you know when they're first learning yeah we almost exclusively use his book here yeah no that makes sense of course you do um but yeah i know he's he's a, a very good teacher i mean he, his entire career he was career Air Force and then uh, was in the Air Force Pipe Band. And since he retired from the military, he's been a career bagpiper. But so he, bagpipes has been his livelihood his whole life. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, great guy. And in the 90s, finally, we had kind of a, it was the, the 
last iteration was like the Lowlanders pipe band or something like that of these kind of on again, off again pipe bands. And the local police chief, who is a fascinating character in his own right, his name was Ruben Greenberg. Uh, he had kind of come in and said, you know, Charleston's going to be one of those world-class police departments like NYPD or whatever like that people know. Mm. And, of course, there's an NYPD pipe band, so he wanted himself to have a pipe band too. Yeah. So he reached out to, to uh, Sandy Jones at the Citadel, the military college, and said, can you get me every bagpiper you can and teach as many of my police officers as you can? And at the time, I think police officers could be on duty if they were at bagpipe practice or at a gig. Mm. So... Uh, quite a few, I think, picked it up at that yeah, time. Yeah, I sure and, would. <laughs> yeah, th- so through the mid-90s and uh, into the early 2000s, we had a, a fairly good group of bagpipers, a uh, pipe band, that was the Charleston Police Pipes and Drums. And the uh, Charleston Police badge actually has a sailing ship on it. It's kind of part of the one of the emblems uh, of the city you. of Charleston. Um and then in 2004 is when Sandy retired and moved to North Carolina, and he was replaced by Jim Dillahay at the Citadel and as pipe major of our band, who's he's currently the president of the Eastern United States Pipe Band Association, so you mm. may have heard his name before. Um, but he took our band to uh, very uh, top, probably top competitive levels. We went to grade two... Um, competed all over the country. I think they were uh, champions in several different titles. Uh, never got over to Scotland, I think. Mm-hmm. But throughout kind of the mid two thousands, that was a, a really uh, competitive time for the band. And then Jim left the band in like two thousand ten to compete with City of Dunedin, which is he had grown up in Central Florida and had learned to play. And that would be. I'm I'm guessing it is this. Are you about there yet, or are you in college or so? I yeah. There? So I'm I came to Charleston in 2011. So gotcha. Jim Jim was still Jim left as I was coming in, and um, we had kind of a, a couple bridge years where we had a, a pipe major named Josh, who I think didn't really want to be the pipe major, but uh, so few he, do. He, he, right, <laughs> he so, did it because somebody so had many, to. Yeah, it's uh, it's something they do out of duty and willingness, not so much that they yeah. want to. <laughs> After a couple of years of that, I think the board got together and said, you know, we need we need somebody who's got some uh, enthusiasm for teaching people and developing as as a as a unit. So mm-hmm. they said, uh, "Jay, you're going to be pie major," and I was like, "Oh crap!" Um, <laughs> <laughs> all right, I guess so. Yeah, um, but so but, you were pretty fresh in the group then too. Yeah, I, I joined in 2011, 2012, and I was kind of an interim pipe major in fall of 14 and full-time and starting at 15. Yeah. And what, <clears throat> excuse me, um, the uh, the band website has you listed as the grade four pipe major. Is that still the case right now? Yeah. Um, so we've had where the, um, I, I'm the senior pipe major and very briefly we had a grade three unit and had Jim Dillay come back to be kind of an instructor and be pipe major of the grade three unit. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I was a, a rank and file player in grade three and pipe major of grade four. And then grade three was hard to sustain for, uh, for us. So, But you've got uh, a grade four and a grade five, right? 
grade back down to grade four and grade five now. Yeah. yeah. Oh, that's awesome. So the um, the the duties of pipe major. What do you think? You know, nobody. Let's let's imagine nobody's going to listen. Tell me how you really feel. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's interesting, and I think there's a couple different approaches to it that kind of are all needed and all need to be balanced and and it's difficult to balance them uh but this is one thing i think andy and josh have talked about on the channel before as well is uh are you you know do you there's the good cop and bad cop approaches to pipe majors so you can be the bad cop and just yell that everything's not good enough and then lean on like your pipe sergeant to be good cop and kind of kind of go patch support things up people and encourage them right yeah um you could also be like the the you could flip-flop it you could have your your pipe sergeant yell at people and mm-hmm. you be the kind of the encouraging the example or whatever um there's the and then there's the approach to like uh, a mentoring or teaching pipe major where you're always taking people aside and and you know working through as a as a coach and a mentor and yeah. kind of have your pipe sergeant or whoever run the big circle mm-hmm. uh, just to get people some some reps on the tunes right um and I don't know which one is the best I kind of I I cycle through the three depending on the season and depending on how the band's doing that's how that's how you keep your pipers and your drummers on their toes they never know which yeah. JD's going to show up to practice yeah, I'm not very good at being the bad cop, but I do sometimes. I'll I'll be the 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 disappointed <laughs> guy, guys that wasn't very good. Uh, let's let's do it again and suck fifty percent less, okay? Yeah, <laughs> that's there. You go. Let's suck less. That's the goal. <laughs> yeah, uh, that's interesting that you but, say that. Um, I I recently interviewed um the pipe major and pipe sergeant for some of the bands at Wasatch and District, and was just asking specifically about that. Like, how do you what are the dynamics, you know, like, how, how do you handle um, sort of, like, who takes which responsibilities and stuff like that? And uh, um, Ross and Mark, they both said very similar things. They're like, you know, of course, there, there are as many ways to approach this as there are people, you know. Um, mm-hmm. Everybody kind of finds how to do it. And I think my personality has always been kind of a, a better as, a, like, a coach or a tutor. So I've always leaned towards the, the coaching Mm-hmm. side and if, I, if I've got a decent enough piper that I trust them to run the band through you know a couple parade sets or an MSR in my stead and then I'll pull one or two of the problem uh, you know people who need a little extra attention off to the side or set up a special time and practice for for private lessons or whatever yeah yeah now now you mentioned that your band has a board um, that the the Charleston pipe band has a board does that end up being helpful to you in like, do you feel like the system for your band is set up such that you can focus mostly on music or do you as the pipe major end up doing a lot of email reminders and are you also the quartermaster and you know, like how many hats are you, are you switching back and forth between to run the band? Yeah. Um, it's uh, waxes and wanes on how much people are able to help it. Definitely. I would recommend our structure. Mm-hmm. Um, so we have when the, the police department stopped, doing the bulk of our funding in 2008 basically when everybody's budget got cut and the economy collapsed yeah uh and so we reincorporated as a nonprofit organization about the time that i joined the band and had to set up a board because that's required as for a nonprofit, which i think a lot of 
bands will do that, but then like the pipe major is also the president and also the quartermaster. Yeah. You've got just like a, you, yeah, you've got a treasurer and a secretary by default or something like that. Right. Um, but the pipe we major is also were like very, the band manager and, and has control of the yeah. bank account and everything. So we were, we were very specific to uh, make sure that there was kind of two separate leadership structures. There's the board, which is a president, vice president, secretary, treasurer, um, and then also the senior pipe major, the senior lead drummer, and a member at large, I think is, is it. And then, oh, and also the band manager, so the person who books the gigs. That's so that's our board. Gets you a representation from kind of all facets, huh? Right. And then if anybody, like, so if your pipe major is also the president, then you add a, another member at large just to make sure that there are mm-hmm. still however many it is, seven or eight people to kind of spread some of the work out. Yeah. Um, and then the musical org structure has pipe major, drum sergeant, uh, you know, instructors, drum major, etc. Uh, kind of the run the gigs and the performances yeah. when we're actually doing something. Yeah. So currently I am senior pipe major and the vice president at the same time. Gotcha. Gotcha. Well, that's pretty cool. Now, um, getting, getting a little bit back into the biography here, you, you mentioned you've got a, a life partner there. Um, did bagpipes figure into courtship in any way? Was it a hurdle that, that someone had to get over, or was it uh, an attractant, or what? You know, how does how does that work out? Uh, you know, it's interesting that there's so many people have, tend to have strong opinions on the bagpipes. Mm-hmm. You know, playing playing bagpipes in high school, there were girls that thought that was the coolest thing ever, and there was girls who would not talk to me, like thought I was the weirdo. And yeah, there aren't a lot of middle ground. Folks, um, my uh, my wife was kind of one of the few. I think she leans towards appreciating them, but but she's <laughs> one of the few people who's somewhere in the middle. I think. Yeah, yeah. Um, I because she's so uh, she's actually a very talented piano player mm-hmm. and um, has you know great appreciation for for classical music and and. She's got. She's somebody that can play by ear, so she can hear a pop song on the radio and then go sit down at a piano and play it in like two minutes. Yeah. Um, and so, the the way bagpipes, especially pipe band world, how structured it is and how you know, simplistic with our nine notes and no accidentals. Uh, right. I think she feels a lot of times almost stifled when we try to play together. I'm like, no, you, sure. you can't play it in that key. We can only play yeah, in yeah. this key. <laughs> um, so uh, there's some, I think, annoyance there. But she doesn't like Celtic music. I think she likes my small pipes a lot better and, and listening to, you know, if we go see a, a, an Irish-style pub band or, or uh, Celtic rock like the... Yeah. Uh, you know, whoever, Wicked Tinkers or Dropkick Murphys, she enjoys that more than she likes pipe band. Yeah. Yeah, pipe band, pipe band is kind of an interesting animal, isn't it? Like, I don't know how, it, maybe maybe you have thoughts on this. If you don't, don't feel any pressure to weigh in or anything, you know, but it, isn't it funny, like, just, especially where you have, you know, kind of um, plenty of exposure, uh, both yourself having done music outside of pipe band and through your wife um, to, like, the more general musical world, then sort of like turning art into competition is just, mm-hmm. uh, it's such an interesting thing.
thing. I, th- I, th- I often feel like we're, we're like the, the sonic um, equivalent to figure skating, you know? It's like, the, the, is this yeah. art or are we competing, you know? Like, it's like football for people who don't like football, you know what I mean? Well, and, you know, I mean, there's the, the DCI is, is Drum Corps International for marching band people is, is a very similar culture. Um, yeah. Maybe yeah, even more point. hardcore than yeah. high band. Um, playing trumpet through high school and college, you know, I was in marching bands and a large number of people that I played with would do DCI over the summer with some of the, the cores around the country and yeah. travel for contests and... Uh, you know, be working on whatever their competition set was for the season, um, same as pipe bands do. Yeah, yeah, it's interesting. So, um, right now in your life, JD, uh, who do you think is your biggest fan? If you're going to get your pipes out, who in your life is going to be most excited, or who in your life is most likely to ask you to get them out? Ooh, um, that's that's an interesting question. Uh, so. Um, I don't know. There's, there's a couple different times that I play that I think different people appreciate. So, uh, one of the, I I mentioned I have small pipes. I actually have two sets of small pipes. The, the newer set is a set, uh, I got of the Fred Morrison. Yeah. Let's nerd out about equipment. Tell me, tell me all about both sets. I don't think anybody is going to be bothered by hearing details. This is, this is like this stuff. Um, so kind of a, 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 cool, I guess a little emotional story. My grandmother and uh, grandfather were, were doing poorly right in like 2019, 2020. And um, I think my grandmother probably knew she had one Christmas left. And so she asked my mom what I wanted. And at this point I'm like 30. So I'm, you know, like, you've kind of come full circle from wanting a bunch of toys to like, I don't know, I guess I need a new pair of socks or maybe a, yeah. a nice bottle of scotch or something like that. Yeah. And I was like, the only, like the only toy I really want is I've been eyeing a set of these, uh, small pipes, Bellows Bone small pipes. And, um, but they're, I mean, they're crazy expensive. They're either like twice as much as what my Highland pipes were. Right, yeah. And, um, she was like, Money's no object. I, you know, I don't got time to spend spend it all. Let's go for it. So my grandmother um, bought me a set of, of these Fred Morris and Bellows Blown. It's got the uh, four drums, so I can play, and I've got a channer in A and a channer in D. Mm-hmm. Um, so kind of the combo set, which is great for sessions with different, you know, guitar and stuff like that. I can kind of swap around, and um, it's a really cool set of pipes. I've I've really enjoyed learning to use the bellows. And uh, so I wrote her a tune as a thank you and oh. the, the played it for her over uh, Zoom because that was the, the pandemic had hit by this point and right. nobody could go visit her. And um, she actually passed the next day. It was like the, wow, really? was the last, last song she heard. Wow. Um, so that, that was kind of a, a big thing. But whenever I play those, my Fred Morrison small pipes, whatever I'm playing, I think my mom really loves just to, to listen to me play my small pipes because I think it reminds her of her mom. I don't doubt it. I, I, I guess that, that's one set that's never going to be sold to get another set, huh? <laughs> right. Nope. Um, but uh, my other set of small pipes was one I got fairly early in my piping journey. I got a set of the John Walsh shuttle pipes. 
Oh, for sure, yeah. Um, no, that's fair, yeah. Which are, I mean, those are, those are ones that people have asked, oh, I'm, I'm looking into getting small pipes, what should I get? And I kind of say, if you're looking for small pipes that are going to be basically just practice Highland bag pipes that are you know, quieter and less air, that's a good way to go because yeah. they're, they're cheaper, they're low maintenance, they, you know, they're fairly reliable. Mm-hmm. Um, I, don't, I, I don't think they sound as good as my Fred Morrison pipes, uh, or, or, you know, but they're, they're very approachable and, and an easy transition from Highland pipes. So yeah. um, that's, that's what I would recommend for anybody who's looking for kind of a set of practice pipes. Yeah, no, that makes a lot of sense. Have you, um, I, I wonder, have you noticed, like, did, see, I, I guess I probably could research this to figure it out more myself, but, like, I've tried figuring it out. Does Fred Morrison have a set of signature small pipes, and aside from that, his signature real pipes, R-E-E-L? Yes. And then, yes. so then are those real pipes more like um, border pipes? Yeah. I see. Yeah, okay. he, his real pipes have the the conical channer instead of the parallel channer, so it, gotcha. it has that highland highland pipe sound, and um, it has a. I think it uses the same bag, same bellows, but it's got the channer's conical, and the drones are a little louder to keep up with the volume. Mm-hmm. And now he's pushing out those Illin pipes as well. Yeah, so I think he's got a half set and a full set that yeah. are available. That's that's next on the list, right? Yeah, maybe we'll see. I. <laughs> I uh, had a friend that was down giving a workshop for for the band and uh, tried out uh, her practice set of alarm pipes and it's uh, it's a different beast for Hold sure. Thing, right. Well, speaking of marching band, I have heard I've heard a lot of my my piper friends and just reading on you know Bob Dunsire and stuff like that. Just folks talking about going from Highland pipes to Illum pipes. That it's it's something like going from marching band to jazz band. Like yeah, it's ostensibly yeah. the same thing, but very different. Right. Like maybe similar equipment, but a very a whole different philosophy behind it. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, so beautiful story. Um, I wonder how, how would you feel JD? We, we've got some time for, um, for, uh, for like post work before this would go out. Would mm-hmm. you be interested in throwing together a, a, even just a simple recording of the tune and I could take the, um, take the episode out on it. Sure. That'd be yeah. fun. That'd be fun. We'll do that. And this is not the end of the interview. If you, if you can stick around, I just, figured i'd ask you real quick before i forgot about it yeah no problem that'd be awesome so um what about uh what about your like your life right now is is pipe band and small pipes of course is bagpiping kind of the thing i know that you recently became the voice of the weekly drone right i did yeah so um bagpipes has become most of my life outside of work uh after taking over as pipe major, one of the first things that I did was um, the our, our band had always enjoyed a pretty good relationship with the Citadel, the school pipe band here in town. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think less and less people were graduating and staying in town. More and more seemed to be taking military commissions or moving somewhere else. Mm. And so it kind of became unreliable as a feeder program. And so... I instituted uh, at rehearsals, the first hour is for lessons, and if you're, um, like, so we have typically three uh, pipers that are teaching small group lessons, two or three, maybe up to five piper, uh, chanter students Mm -hmm. at a time, and then um, any pipers, kind of our beginning grade five band type pipers will have their 
first hour of, of practice general work, kind of all, that's the first hour of practice. Mm. And that, I guess, starting in 2015 or 2016, now we're at the point where that's starting to pay dividends. We've got a, a fairly fresh, every year we got one or two pipes, um, or new pipers taking yeah. up the instrument, which is good, because uh, it's just so hard to find new bagpipers. Like, sometimes you get lucky and somebody moves to town, but... Uh, very rarely does somebody just show up and be like, oh yeah, like I I used to play with uh, whoever, uh, Wasatch and District and just right. moved to town and want to play with your, your yeah, local grade, grade four band. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, like that just, that doesn't happen. So, uh, and so you, you kind of got to grow them, grow them yourself. It does seem like that's and, kind of the cycle you see bands go, go through, right? Like there will be an education program that's functioning well and it's paying dividends. And then as the pipe band kind of builds up and gets bigger and bigger and it moves up through the competitive, competitive ranks, the focus shifts to the high competition band and sort of like the feeder program can often die away. And that's <laughs> often it seems like that's the trail that leads to a, a band dissolving eventually or having to start again from ground zero. Right. Um, so that's that's been be- between leading the band as a as a band and playing all the gigs and everything like that. Uh, I do a fair amount of teaching as well on the side, mm-hmm. and uh, then you know that's that, that that takes up a lot of time. Is that exclusively for the band in that group program, or do you also teach private you know private instruction for money? I do um, a couple private lessons, typically. I've, I've had some students over the years who, for one reason or another, didn't want to be part of the band program. Mm-hmm. Um, I had a, a regular student for a while who had, he had played bagpipes as a, a college student at the Citadel back in like the 50s or 60s, mm-hmm. however old he was. So he was, and then he stopped after that. He wasn't very good back then because I don't think they really had proper instruction. Sure. And um, then had tried to pick it back up in like the early 2000s or late 90s and was of the age where it, it was not coming very quickly. So um, we would have lessons, but I think he, it was almost as much for camaraderie as it was for actual musical instruction. Yeah. I worked with him for probably five years and we got to Scotland the Brave. Um, mm-hmm. We did a lot of slow airs. He, he actually enjoyed me um, it was, it was kind of funny. He would ask, oh, like, oh, I heard this pipe band doing, you know, whatever. Uh, do you think you can get the music for that? And um, so I, I would go listen to that recording and then just arrange it for him. Uh, yeah. um, but we did everything from, like, uh, uh, oh, one of the big ones was the, the Top Gun theme. Oh, yeah. yeah. Um, he heard uh, a pipe band covering that, and he was like, oh, <laughs> Can you can you arrange that? So we worked it out. Um, we did a song by ABBA, and we did a song. What did we do? Um, what's the really uh, waltzing Matilda? Oh sure, the, yeah. The Aussies all love. We Aussies did that one. We did a couple. So that was kind of a fun uh, private student we had for a while, and then right now I've got a father and son pair that wanted to take lessons together. So. Yeah. I teach them together. You see a little bit of your own experience in them. Yeah, it's it's it, it is really funny, and that's been another thing is is watching how people learn and learning how people learn. Because um, we've got um, the the son has 
kind of that typical 11-year-old, low attention to detail, but his fingers are, are really able to adapt. Once he figures out what he's supposed to be doing, he does it. Mm-hmm. And then the dad can can probably describe better what he's supposed to be doing, but his fingers won't do it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, taking different approaches on, on how to get him yeah. uh, to do the right thing. Huh. Huh. So... Um, pipe, pipes have taken over your life, so uh, playing and teaching. Do you are you a gigging piper too? Do you pick up funerals, weddings, stuff like that? Yeah, uh, I mean Charleston is a, a fairly popular wedding destination in in the region. Um, mm. You know they've got the it's where uh, what's his face Ryan Reynolds and Blake Lively got married mm. here in town. Uh, it was one of my first, so that was actually kind of funny. We were supposed to have a gig where they were playing and our gig was canceled or where they were getting married our gig was canceled with no explanation and then the next day on the news we saw oh like uh, uh <laughs> but you gossip didn't get girl to and play the wedding instead <laughs> no i did not Darn get to play it. their wedding uh but bet midler was a was a guest at their wedding and yeah. actually showed up at my work because uh, she was interested i work at the the boeing airplane factory and she was interested in seeing the airplanes so oh, really we that's pretty cool. Hey, what is it? What does your dad think of you working on airplanes? Is that exciting to him? Yeah, I think he thinks it was pretty cool. Yeah. Uh, it was funny. The first family day, we were allowed to bring our families. I brought my parents, and yeah. um, he was uh, both surprised. Uh, I don't want to say worried, but there, you know, he just. <laughs> There, there were things that he was like, oh, wow, they really get away with that? And yeah, then there were things that he was like, oh, wow, that's pretty cool over there. Yeah, yeah. right. Um, and this is not to disparage the Boeing company. It, we, we take uh, very good good care of our planes, and the airplanes are very safe to fly on, I promise. For, so for both the FBI agents who are listening and the Boeing yeah. <laughs> agents who are listening, J.D. is a loyal, he's a loyal tax-paying Boeing employee. He's all yes. aboard. So, no, uh, I mean I do. It's a, it's a good company for sure. I, I've I've been a, as much of an airplane geek as I have been a bagpipe geek for yeah. probably just as long. But not a pilot yourself. Not a pilot yet. Yeah, it's I don't know that. My, I mean, my dad became a pilot because he was in the Air Force and the Air Force taught him to fly, and so it was easy to get a job doing something he had a. Uh, a license for already yeah getting the license is a lot of time and effort that and i money right and, no and money yeah uh, that i don't really have right now and uh then if i did get a manage to get a job and as a pilot i'd have the pilot schedule which would be keeping mm. me away and missing gigs and missing practice and everything like all this did, so. Stuff. right so i'll uh i'll i'll work on them from the ground yeah for now right on well, what about other gigs? Have you had any uh, any crazy or, or, or funny or memorable gigs that, that come to mind when I say where, where are some cool places or, or situations you've played in? Um, so, I, I mean, I get a lot of random gigs in town. My, weddings are my favorite. It's probably what I do the most of. Yeah. And um, definitely Charleston being a wedding destination, I will, there's times where I have weddings back-to-back. Literally, actually... The Saturday after St. Patrick's Day this year, I left one of our St. Patrick's Day gigs and had two weddings wow. that evening. 
when they were asking, like, oh, are you free on March 19th? I'm like, no, I'm not free on March 19th. All right, maybe what time is it? Maybe. And then when the second one asked, I'm like, absolutely not. Actually, where is it? It turned out to be next door to the first one. I was like, all right, I can, I'll just walk over. If if I play their ceremony, I can play your reception. Wow. Um, A harvest day for for J.D. the Piper there. Yeah, that was rough. But, um, I don't know, two of the weirdest gigs I've ever played the the first one was actually a St. Patrick's Day, so my myself and a another piper in the band, um, we both found that we were getting a ton of requests on the side, and we said, all right, I tell you what, we're gonna. A lot of times, you go you, you go to a bar, or whatever, you play for thirty minutes to an hour, and then if you've got an hour to kill, like what do you do? You just sit there, you go try to like join in the other band. So we, we combined all of our gigs, and we managed to get them so they were staggered where we had gigs almost continuously from, like, noon to midnight. Mm, very smart. Um, yeah, and then it was also nice because if, you, if you're both there playing, you can take a break while he's playing or, you know, tag out right. at the gig. So it worked out to be, be a, a pretty good deal. But the last, the last gig of the evening was um, the weirdest one. So we... We were hired by a, a dance club in town, and they all we were told is we are introducing their guest DJ. And what what um, are we are we talking like a place where old people go to learn salsa after they've retired? That kind of dance club? No, no, uh, a uh, where college age people go to drink too much and and grind on each other. <laughs> oh, that um, kind of but dance yeah. club. That kind of, yeah, it was a uh, a very loud, very strobe-lighty type place, and uh, um, it's actually, once I got inside the door, I could not hear my own chanter playing, is how wow, loud it was. Wow, that is really um, But, uh... The one and only the gig where you guest, have, you'll have staff coming and asking if you can play louder. Yeah, right. Um, the guest DJ, so, uh, when she showed up, we were like, okay, you know, so, like, what's, what's the deal? Why, why are we introducing the guest DJ? And she was like, oh, like, so glad you guys came. I was a Highland dancer as a little girl, and, you know, I thought it'd be really cool to be introduced by bagpipes, especially this close to St. Patrick's Day. I'm like, oh, okay, cool. Um, and then we started seeing the posters and ads for her and why, why she was a famous DJ, and it turned out that she was also a pornographic actress, and uh, we were both kind of just like, "Oh, huh? probably also okay. an excellent DJ." Let's not yeah. let's not yeah <laughs> let's not suggest that her popularity is only because of the adult film industry. Surely her uh, DJ skills are, are paramount, right? I'm sure they were great. We did not stick around. <laughs> we 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 played uh, 79 Farewell to Gibraltar up to the DJ stand. I think somebody handed us a shot and. Uh, Saluted, saluted our, our DJ and headed out the door. Yeah, but uh, was this? I mean, you you were probably married at the time, right? Yes. One of these situations, like, sweetie, I'm just going to play the pipes. I promise, I'm only <laughs> playing the pipes. I'm in and out. Just See, I didn't, I didn't even know, I didn't even know what what it was until uh, till afterwards or until oh, really? when we were there. Yeah, I didn't didn't know who she was. Didn't you know? I didn't yeah. care. We, we that was like the eighth or ninth gig in a row. Yeah. that day. Yeah, just um, dazed at that point, I'm sure. Yeah, but um, that was a that was a pretty funny one. And then the other really awkward gig we had, or I had, this was a solo. Uh, this one was fairly recent. Was for an MMA fight. 
Oh, cool. And uh, which is yeah, I had never been to one in person, but it was full on like in the octagon cage, and um, I you know I got there and it was it was not a pro, not you know Vegas level, not uh, UFC. It was like uh, reminded me more of. Did you see the movie the, the Peanut Butter Falcon? I didn't With, see it. Uh, no. Uh, so the, the premise of the Peanut Butter Falcon is, uh, uh, what's his face, Shia LaBeouf has a, makes friends with a special needs kid who wants to be a pro wrestler or something like that. Oh, okay, yeah, I, I saw previews yeah. for this, I didn't see the movie. Yeah, so they, they, they go on this big adventure to, like, backwoods North Carolina out in the hills and everybody's, like, dirty and muddy and barefoot and whatever and show up at this, this wrestling match and this special needs kid gets to be a wrestler or whatever for the day, but um, it, that kind of backwoods you know, walking through a, a bunch of people in ripped camo jeans, yeah. smoking jewel their their uh, uh, cigarette sticks or whatever and, it, it's uh, like, you, you get the and then I like, show after this fight, everybody's heading over to like the, the rooster fighting ring down, yes, down in the alley exactly. <laughs> and I show up in a kilt and you know, a, my my fancy vest and jacket and I yeah. just don't fit in at all. And uh, the promoter who had hired me, I guess he he wanted me to play at the halftime because they were honoring a guy who was like a wounded warrior, um, who had done some like training for wounded warriors and like help people get back on their feet or whatever. It was it was kind of a cool thing. Yeah. But until halftime, uh, he was like, "Hey, I got you a VIP seat." And so I was sitting ringside between. Wow the med techs who were there to like make sure somebody was okay if they got a concussion the the girls in the bikinis who hold up the signs about what round it is and um the special guest vip who was the um what is his name diego sanchez who's a, a he won the first ufc like welterweight title um, and I was just like, and here's me in my kilt and bagpipes and I'm like, all right, here, here we go. <laughs> That's awesome. When you, when you said you got hired to play for an MMA fight immediately, I was like, Oh, Conor McGregor. Awesome. You know? Not, yeah, no, it was, it was that. several layers below Conor <laughs> yeah, McGregor, layers, yeah. but uh, not quite to that tier. huh? <laughs> so after a couple was, of gigs it, like this, at what point does your wife start saying like, sweetie, I don't know about, I don't know about these, uh, these bagpipe <laughs> gigs. Like, if it's not a, yeah. if it's not a, if it's not a porn star DJ, then it's the, 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 the crazy backwoods <laughs> bikini girl fight. Uh, you know, like where, what, what, what's next, you know, what's going to be next for my Piper husband? Yeah. Who knows? I, I, I definitely get into the point where I've started, uh, asking for more money or straight up turning down gigs that aren't like in town weddings yeah. at churches I'm familiar with. But, uh, and, and probably asking for a few more details, too, I would imagine, huh? Yeah. <laughs> well, we live and learn, don't we? <laughs> yeah, for sure. Uh, that's awesome. So um, when, you're, when you're doing these, these gigs, um, do you, like, how do they come to you? Do, you have, uh, do you, they usually come through the band, or do you have some online presence? So there's a, a mixture. I've got a Facebook page that I don't update nearly as much as I should, but... Um, I've gotten a few gigs that way. I've got a profile on Gig Salad, which oh, sure, yeah. Uh, yeah, I would recommend as a um, it's a nice nice gigging site because they have the free option where they take a cut of your bookings as opposed to charging you like thirty or forty bucks a month and then maybe you get booked and maybe you don't. Right. Um, 
And so I found that, especially with the way bagpipes work, you get, you know, kind of a wedding season where you'll have 10 gigs, mm -hmm. and then St. Patrick's Day where you'll have 10 gigs, and then nothing the rest of the year. So yeah, um, I, I, I like that. Um, and then the, the band does get a fair amount of gigs that way, and we try to pass them out fairly equitably. I don't... Uh, don't take the first the pick of the litter there. Yeah, I'm sure you you, it, you you're probably in a position to be especially careful about that. It wouldn't look good if you had the VP and pipe major taking all of the paying gigs that came through the band. Right. Um. Now you told me about your small pipes. Uh. Let's geek out a little more. I want to I want to hear about your Highland pipes. What, what's going on there? What kind of pipes do you play? What kind of chances? So I am still playing my first set of pipes. I got you and me both, man. Yeah, fix it. Even if it is broke, right. fix it and keep playing it. <laughs> yeah, I got um, my my first set was a McCallum. I think they were the Blackwood twos mm -hmm. that they were offering at the time. Um, so they got the kind of imitation mounts and everything, and um, started off on easy drones. And um, as I learned to strike in better and wrestle with those things I, I eventually switched over to the MG reeds that are made in the same factory there in Kilmarnock mm -hmm. um, and I have pretty much stuck with MGs ever since uh, I think right now I've got the originals but I've got a pair of the white mambas ready to those are my on deck re drone reeds I've seen those white mambas I've been, I, I, I was recently shopping for drone reeds I just barely changed for the first time in 20 years this is my first time ever changing drone reeds can you believe that Wow. I've had the same drone read since I started playing. So same I, set or same brand? Same set. Wow. Same, same tongues, same bridles, same hemp holding them in my drones. <laughs> okay, not That's the same impressive. hemp. The hemp has been changed, but everything else the same. <laughs> I, I don't know. I've, I've found that mine get a little less steady every, I don't know, six to ten years. So yeah. I've, I think I'm on my third third set now. Fourth that, set. that was the problem. These finally got to the point where I couldn't rely on them anymore. You know, I didn't want to be striking in at a funeral and not knowing what was going to happen, so mm -hmm. I had to move on. So. Um, and then as far as chanters, I uh, currently am mostly playing, I've got my band chanter, which uh, we, our band was the first one to get outfitted with uh, Ruddy McClellan's new elevation chanter. Mm, yeah, I just got one of those. Um, yeah, they're nice. I like it. Yeah. And um, then I've got a um, my for weddings where I have to play with traditional instruments like a pipe organ or an orchestra. I've got a, a Campbell bagpipes tunable channer with the little screw on the outside that you oh, adjust yeah. your reed. Um, which that's been kind of fun to play around with. It's a nice little gimmick. I I don't know that I would want to do it for the band because I think I would worry that I would have too many people moving their reeds around Yeah. Um, but it is nice you know, when you're chasing a specific pitch like Concert 440 uh, to be able to adjust the high hand on the fly Yeah. now um, are you able to get that so is that So we, we messed with a sample of one of those when we were setting up Garden Valley Pipe Band just thinking the same thing like would this be useful as a band and then we kind of decided like eh probably not for the band but I haven't looked at them since then did you do you have one that is already set up to play at 440 and mm -hmm. then you can adjust from there yeah they so they took a McCallum B flat and cut the top off and put their little proprietary thread thing on it and uh, so that's what I've got so you can you can move between concert what for what is it 460 466 for B flat and uh, yeah 467 I think if you're for your a 
reading A on the tuner right. and uh, is your concert 440 for a B flat. Yeah, that's pretty cool. That's pretty cool. I, I didn't realize it had that much, you know, that much range that you could you could move between the two. That's pretty cool. That makes it. A uh, no, it, it, I mean it. It doesn't go between concert pitch and and B flat pitch. It just it it helps me chase. If I find that I'm four or five hertz sharp, I can chase that. I see. You're doing you're doing your around. setup to get close to it, and then that's just getting you better better in yeah. the moment kind of shift. Yeah, I found there's been times where like, you know, I'll be playing a bride down the down the aisle with Highland Cathedral, I get to that first high and I'm like, ooh, that's a little flat. <laughs> yeah. and I'll just reach over real quick and mm. uh, can make, make that adjustment literally walking down the aisle. Um, Man, that, you know, I, I wish, I, that is a really good point. You know, like, I often, like, kind of, like, make my, my tape not too tight, on like, not too sticky, so that if I have to, I can kind of slide it, you know, in that kind of situation. I would be nervous. I would be nervous about it. It's so humid here. It slides anyways. Oh yeah. It's a, it's a wild way. It's definitely like not, it's not the ideal way to do things, but that's the way, you know, that's like the best option I've had. Cause I hadn't, I hadn't really thought about using it that way. You know, I, because of the way that we looked at the sample, I've only really thought about it as like tuning up in a circle, but those, mm-hmm. those on the fly, you know, you play as the guests show up at the funeral, but then you stand in the sun for a while and strike in for amazing grace. And there's a problem just being able to right. reach up and, and twist that, that that's really attractive. Yeah, so that's that's kind of what I've got set up right now. Um, I haven't done solo contests as a, you know, my bagpipe solos in a year or so, so I'm kind of between solo chanters. Mm-hmm. But, um, that's, those, are, those are the ones that I'm actively playing. Yeah, right on. Have you, um, having, you know, being not necessarily a native of South Carolina, but having lived there for a while, is there, is there a strong, um, like, is there a strong sense of, like, uh, people having ideas about which one is the superior Carolina? Like, is there a lot of South Carolina pride? Like, ah, well, you might do that up in North Carolina, but here in South Carolina, things are better. Um, or, or do the Car- Carolinas get along great? I find more so uh, we poke fun at each other's barbecue. Oh, interesting. Is then, it like, what is it, like actually, vinegar versus mustard, or what, what's the... Yeah, North Carolina, so you got you really have kind of three barbecues. You've got mustard, which is uh, mostly South Carolina, especially the low country. You've got vinegar, which is kind of the North Carolina lower uh, space. And then I think both, in the mountains of both kind of start to blend into that, like ketchup-based similar to, you know, what you probably get at the store across the country. Things, thing, things, always, things, always, get, uh, things always go sideways in the mountains, don't they? Yeah. No matter where you are. But, yeah, that's, I, I, you know, more so people will ask, oh, you know, I'm looking to move into the Carolinas. Where should we go? Well, what do you want? You've got beaches. You've got mountains. You've got, you know, like Charlotte's a fairly big city or Raleigh. Uh, you, you got... And you yeah, also have between, you know, barbecue farmland, preferences to think about. But but do you like mustard-based barbecue right, or do you like vinegar-based <laughs> barbecue? <laughs> that's the main deciding factor. Because if you like vinegar barbecue, you better stay up on the other side of that line. Yeah, yeah. Don't even bring it down. <laughs> do, do you have, having done a lot, you know, doing a lot of gigs, not only with your pipe band, but also by yourself, Do you have you developed any kind of solid pre-performance ritual that, that you find is like useful to make sure you're ready to go and stuff like that? Um, as a, as a soloist or as a band? Ah, maybe both. I don't know. Anything, anything come to mind, like tips and tricks, you know, things that you're like, I'm never making that mistake again. Or, you know, I always do this to make sure I don't get into 
that situation? Yes. So one thing uh, I have made the mistake, I think, twice ever, and will never again, is um, forgetting bits of your uniform. So, oh, yeah. Um, definitely just keep everything, one of everything, in a bag. You know, I've got a, like a spare pair of hose and spare pair of whatever, but I always have at least one pair, one tie, one um, you know, belt in a bag. And so I toss the bag if I'm going for especially a gig that's far away and I'm not going to get dressed till I get there. Just make sure the whole bag is in in, uh, in the car. Yeah. Because um, there was one gig I showed up with no hose, mm. and I was fortunate to find a Dick's Sporting Goods nearby and went and bought some baseball socks real quick. Had time for that. Um, yeah, and then one gig, actually it was a band contest, I showed up without my kilt. What? And, uh, what? That's kind yeah, of that's kind had of everything. Point. I had everything except the kilt, and uh, there was fortunately a kid that was just a little bit skinnier than me that was not competing with us, but was in the band uh, that day. And so, at contest time, he switched into his shorts, and I had to suck in real tight it. to get his, his <laughs> kilt on. It's like I needed one extra inch. Yeah. Wonder if that did you feel like that helped or hindered your your bag inflation capabilities? I I think we won that day, so hey. it certainly didn't hurt. Yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah, so, I mean, making sure you've got your stuff together is definitely a big part of it. I always try to show up a, an hour ahead of time and kind of walk the ground, walk the space, um, mm-hmm. get a, a kind of visual picture in my head about where I'm going to be playing, where, you know, where my cue is going to be coming from and all that. Um, and, uh, you know, making sure you're in the right headspace and, and you're not tired, you're not... Uh, you know, you got caffeine if you need it. You got, you're not hungry. You got whatever. Yeah. Um, I, I don't, I don't know about the if people. you need it with caffeine. I'm pretty sure caffeine is <laughs> just like a constant necessity for any performance. Yeah, most people, I guess, are, are probably fairly addicted at this point. But yeah. uh, one tip I've heard from multiple people is, uh, yeah, a lot of times I'll grab like a protein bar, but two or three different pipe majors have recommended bananas. Yeah. As like a slow burning, you know, uh, accessible sugar, but not like, not like a candy bar kind of. Mm. Um, and so that's one that um, Stuart Little was actually, I think, the first person I heard say he he has a banana before he competes. I I won't even question it then. If, if, <laughs> uh, if Stuart yeah. Little said that he like licked the sidewalk before he competed, I just go <laughs> ahead and do it. So whatever whatever he says. Um. But yeah, so I, I figure, and I, I don't think I've actually tried to like do specifically, like consciously made a the decision to have a banana before a gig, but I might try that yeah. at some point. That sounds like solid advice. Are you currently working on any, um, any tunes or working through any tune books that, you know, like what's your, do you have any, any musical projects right now? Um, I've been, I don't know, I, I um, when the pandemic first hit, and our, you know, our everybody's whole schedule was totally thrown up in an upheaval. I was doing a lot of stuff. I played through um, Fred Morrison's first book, Terry Tully's first book. I, I bought like three or four different books that I had seen bits and pieces of, but never actually bought the book. And so I bought the book and played all the way through for oh, a couple of different ones. You're, you're some kind of psychopath who has actually played through the pipe books that you have, huh? 
Yeah. Well, yeah, that's yeah. right. And we're not like most of up. us with like dozens of books that we've maybe looked at one or two tunes inside of each. It, but I mean, those first like two months or three months in, in you know the middle summer of twenty twenty, I didn't have anywhere else to go, so yeah. I'd sit there with my practice chanter and spend like three hours playing through all the tunes. And if I liked it, I'd highlight the title and mm-hmm. I'm like, all right, I'll come back to this one later. Um, and then uh, with the band at that time we moved rehearsal onto Zoom for about a year, and mm-hmm. we did, since we didn't have any gigs really to prepare for, we played through the, uh, I think it was the College of Piping published a list of like the essential bagpipe tunes that everybody should know, like Scotland the Brave and Highland Laddie and whatever else, and uh, you know there was a couple easy Strathspeys and reels, and uh, so we just played every single one mm-hmm. for that was, uh, every meeting with, We'd go through it, I'd play it, and we'd kind of play it around the table, uh, around the virtual t- table, and that was our rehearsals right. there for a while. Yeah, that's a cool idea. Um, next so pandemic. I, I'm putting that I, on the list for the next time there's a pandemic. Yeah. Yeah, that, but that, I mean, that, I think, was a, it was taking in so much music. Oh, another one I did was the, the uh, Lowland and Border Piper Society Blue Book. I got that oh, one yeah. and played through that. Um, so, uh, yeah, played through a lot over the course of, like, 2020 and 2021. And uh, now I'm just kind of t- taking a breather. Yeah. Um, do you have any favorite individual pipers or pipe bands or trad groups that include bagpipes to listen to? Any any favorites that you listen to a lot or that you're excited about right now? Um, that's a good question. I probably should have. I mean, you know, uh, Highland or small pipe. Yeah, or there's several. Um, I I think. So I, I, I mean, I, I'm a big fan of, of Fred Marks, and I really like listening to him. Yeah. And I definitely, when I have a student, it's like, what kind of bagpiper do you want to be? Do you, is your goal just to get to where you can play Amazing Grace at church and, and you never want to be any further than that? That's fine. Do you want to play in a pipe band? Like, have you seen bands and parades? Have you, did you watch the Dropkick Murphys? Did mm-hmm. you, you know, what do you want to be? And so I'll say, go listen to a couple different things. One of your required listens is definitely... Uh, Fred Morrison, one would, uh, and I'll, a lot of times I'll toss in like uh, Ross Ainsley or somebody like that as sure, uh, yeah. similar examples. That um, there was a track that uh, Rab had on his radio program, uh, f- I don't know, maybe a couple months ago for the first time. That was uh, Ross Ainsley's, uh, was it like Wisdom in the Chaos or something like that? And it's the it's the one that starts with uh, his his teacher describes Cantorock and then starts singing it in Cantorock and then it like fades over to Ross playing it and it's got that cool like minor thing where he does mm-hmm. the cross-fingered C natural and then it breaks from like Cantorock Peabrock into like a hornpipe that's in the same key and it's just it's the coolest track if you haven't heard it listen to it right that's on his uh Vana um album yeah it's got that cool twisted yeah. tree on the cover Right, yeah, so I had never heard that until Rab played it on the show, like, I don't know it was, like, two or three months ago. Yeah. Um, and, um, there's a, um, who's the other one? No, no pressure, like, definitely don't feel, um, 
like under pressure to know exactly what these people's names are and stuff. Like I have messed up enough times on <laughs> misidentifying which group played which tune or, or which band made which album and stuff like that on here that you are, no matter what, you can't mess up too badly by comparison. So you're, you're, you're going to look great no matter what. So if you're like, ah, you know, I heard, I heard this one, can't remember what their name is or you mispronounce or something. It's no big deal. Um, I've, I've definitely been listening to a lot more in the Irish tradition, I think, lately. There's a, uh, a local kind of folk band that um, they've got, they don't actually have pipes. They've got a whistle player, and sometimes they'll do alien pipes that um, is pretty good. And yeah. I, they're, they're called Moonlight Ale, but they're, they're a good group to listen to. A, a local group there? Mm-hmm. Awesome. So I try to catch their gigs whenever possible, and there's a local session group that's you know, mostly whistles and accordion and uh, concertina and maybe a guitar or a boron sometimes. You ever you ever go to sessions with a whistle or some small pipes? I yeah. So I, I started trying to take my uh, my shuttle pipes back in like 2019, and um, 2020 was going to be the year that I was like, all right, I'm going to like try to make at least six sessions and. You know, of course, I made one, and then they were canceled for the, for the next two 2020 years. was going to be my year for so many things. Um, but I did uh, get going in the time in the between that time. I you know I got my Fred Morrison pipes, and I got a uh, a penny whistle that I've um, been able to work up a couple tunes on. And so my band, uh, a couple of us have kind of taken that as a side hobby, and we did uh, we had a recent concert just last month where we had um, two numbers on small pipes. One was all small pipes in A, just playing a hornpipe and jig. And then the other one was a mixture of small pipes in D, whistle, guitar, boron. Um, and we kind of threw this whole thing together and we did, um, what did we play? Um, Star of the County Down, uh, Gary okay. Owen, and uh, Steamboat as oh. a little medley. That how was many, a lot of fun. How, how many small pipes in A did you get together in that first in that first one? Four or five. Oh, that's I think awesome. actually one one got COVID that week, so I think we had four on stage. I've never had a chance to play small pipes in person with that large of a group. I've done like some online like instruction stuff where mm-hmm. like you know everybody mutes themselves and you play along with the instructor, but ne- never in a group. That that sounds like it'd be fun. Yeah, it was. Uh, um, so we actually have locally here, the second Sunday of every month, the main shopping district in the center of town closes down to vehicular traffic, and it's, it's pedestrian only. Mm. And uh, they invite local music groups to come play for tips, and they, as long as it's acoustic. Oh, yeah. And uh, so they're always a little leery about the island pipes, because like, that's acoustic, so, but... Might as well be amplified, yeah. Yeah, and, but they're... They, uh, they're down for small pipes whenever we want to. And so um, we've done a couple times, five or six times, where the band will come and, and a, a significant number of us have over the years kind of seen, oh, that I want to go do Second Sunday. Uh, so they'll get themselves a set of, uh, most of us have shuttle pipes. I think there's a set of fireside pipes and oh, sure. maybe two or three sets of uh, traditional like lowland style small pipes with the four drums across your shoulder right i love seeing those fireside pipes the um they're just like baby highland pipes <laughs> they're so yeah, cool yep. <laughs> um they, now I, i've been thinking a lot about whistles lately and i've got an interview lined up with a whistle instructor i'm curious do you do you feel like you've got a lot of out of learning with whistle, the whistle like i've been trying to like talk to people who play pipes and whistle and figure out like what's the value here you know like because i feel like 
pipers who only pipe tend to get to this point where like they'd like to do they'd like to expand a bit but it's hard to figure out what to do and i feel like whistling is a pretty obvious great option you know um what do you think about whistling at this point yeah uh i think the biggest con for me has been one it's very easy to lean back on highland repertoire uh and and not try to learn new stuff and and get nervous when stuff goes into the second octave or third octave right, even. Yeah. Um, and two, uh, it starts to develop a bad habit about false fingering, leaving that bottom hand open, because mm-hmm. um, you know all your anything when, with your top hand on the whistle, is, your bottom hand is is open except for I think one of the accidentals. Um, so I found myself like false fingering more and. It's not a problem I've ever really had. Mm. Um, but it is definitely fun. Uh, some of the tunes that, you know, have been uh, like an Irish tune or, or even like a fiddle tune that has been arranged for Highland Pipes and therefore you've had to kind of condense some of the notes and right, uh, you, yeah. know, you don't have that high B or high C. Yeah, and uh, or you have to change um, like uh, Morrison's jig. First part works fine. Second part jumps mostly into the second octave. Right. And for it to work on the island pipes, you actually have to have a key change, which frustrates my wife to no end. Because she's used to playing it on piano in the same key for both yeah. parts. Um, and so being able to play it on whistle uh, has been... Uh, that's fun. I think it's been good for your marriage. <laughs> yeah, it has certainly helped, helped uh, soothe some marital woes there. <laughs> So that, that's, that's one more point I'll add to the list of reasons why pipers should learn whistle. It'll save your relationship. Save your relationship. <laughs> now, if, uh, if money were no object, uh, what would you do? Uh, what equipment would you get? Where would you travel? Piping related, if, if, if you had a blank check, what would be top of your list? Ah, uh, that's a good one. I, um, I think... Uh, I would be torn between getting a set of uh, the McClellan, like the, you know, kind of a new set of McClellans. I, I, I really love some of the ones he's done with, uh, especially some of the exotic woods. Oh, man, like yeah. Some of his hand engraving are, uh, are really... Uh, the, that's if just, anybody's not following them on Instagram, it's worth it. It's got some pretty stuff. Yeah. Um, he did one with like a Mexican ebony wood that was really pretty, and there was one with that was made or uh, inlaid with staves of like Glenfiddich cask or something like that. <laughs> that was really cool. Um, so I could see myself, you know, if somebody wrote me a blank check, that that would be a strong consideration. Um, would definitely consider getting into alien pipes if you know if time and money were no object, and I I had the the schedule ability to, yeah. to work on the pipes. Um, yeah. but as, as crammed as I am right now, I don't want to drop two to three grand on a, a half set or a full set right. that I could barely play. Yeah. Um, I hard to say what else I would look at. I, I, I like those, um, the ones that Stuart Little and McCallum did together, the McRae's. I would be curious about those and I would be curious about the, um, Wallace bagpipes. They've got some cool stuff out as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, I'd probably have to do some more research before I figure out exactly how I was going to spend my money, though. Yeah. Uh, would upgrade my uniform for sure. I'm, mm-hmm. uh, some of my stuff's getting worn out, and it's it's not worn out enough to really toss it yet. But you know how it goes. Like 
yeah, there's there's some spit stains on my vest that I can't get out anymore. <laughs> yeah. Um, Would you just get the band tartan, or do you have a tartan that you really like that you'd love to have a kilt in? Uh, I actually, so I have three kilts in my closet right now. Um, the first personal kilt I got, the uh, Ingram is a sept of the Calhoun clan. Hey. Spelled the, yeah. That's my, uh, so my son's middle name is Calhoun, because that's, uh, that was uh, my, that was my, 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 uh, on my, on my mom's side, that's, you know, I'll, uh, just like you, like, uh, eh, my, my ancestors are American within any, like, reasonable stretch, and, like, even beyond that, it's like, well, I'm as much Mexican as I am Scottish, you know, but I play bagpipes, right. so let me just focus yeah. on one ancestor, you know, and that's yeah. one of the names that comes up when I focus in that direction. Got you. Yeah, so I've got a Calhoun kill because uh, of the, the Ingram connection that I, I can't actually trace all the way to Scotland, but it's uh, presumably connected somewhere there, and it's a pretty kilt. Yeah, that's a very um, pretty tartan. I like that one a lot. And then uh, when I moved away from Knoxville, uh, my mom actually bought the Knoxville, uh, my, my band kilt from Knoxville, so that's a uh, oh, ancient nice. Mackenzie. Um, which is nice because it's in a it's a nice shade of green, uh, so it's a good one to play for St. Patrick's gigs. Yeah. Uh, and then Charleston wears the City of Charleston Police Tartan, which was uh, another when when we had a bottomless police budget, the police chief uh, commissioned a custom tartan for us, and so we've mm-hmm. got we've probably seen online kind of that royal blue purple, uh, police blue with black, silver, and gold. Um, which is a, a pretty tartan, but it's expensive as uh, I'll get out to try to get. Yeah, I can, I can imagine, I mean, you know, of course I'm not dictating, but I can imagine the band, you know, like reaching a point where enough of them have worn out that it's like, you know, all right, guys, maybe we should think about like a Henderson Gray or, or, or Royal yeah. Stewart or something that's more available. <laughs> yeah, we, so we got to a point about five years ago where the people who have had, you know, were long timers in the band and had had theirs the entire time and especially ones who come to a lot of gigs, we're starting to look pretty rough. And so for five years now, we've replaced four kilts a year, and we kind of just have like a, a priority list. Like, all right, you two guys, are your kilts look terrible, and then we're going to buy like two middle-sized kilts for yeah. students or whoever's coming up that need, might need a kilt. Yeah. Um, so uh, I think we've got a, a good approach to it for right now, but uh, we have to buy... When you have a custom kilt, it's you buy the material and then you buy the kilt. So we're looking mm-hmm. at anywhere depending on between six and eight hundred bucks a kilt. Oof. Oof. Yeah. So yeah. Yeah. Well, it, it is a it's a it's a it is a strong distinctive look that the pipe band has. So it may well be worth it. Huh? And it's got good history too. Yeah. Well, cool, man. Um, what else? Uh, this, you know, this uh, we we could we could fade into that tune now. Uh, what anything else you wanted to talk about? Um, I I mean I I didn't really come prepared with anything specific. I, I had thought about. Um, I would be curious to hear your opinion on uh, teaching or developing a band because you know you've helped set up a band and. Um, I don't know how much you recruit versus teach privately versus uh, you mentioned you, you're familiar with the Sandy Jones book. How do you, mm. what's your approach to teaching? Well, I can tell you that um, Garden Valley Pipe Band, the, the vision with it from the beginning was it's an educational foundation first, right? Like it, it mm-hmm. it's a, it's organized it, like, like many pipe bands as a 501c3, but specifically as an educational one. 
Um, and so that's kind of from, from its beginning, the, the, the idea was, if nothing else, we will always be providing um, instruction, like classes to the community. And if we don't have enough people to feel the competition band, we're going to keep teaching, you know. And part, part of the philosophy behind that was, if we keep teaching, we'll always have a band, you know. Mm-hmm. So, that's my thought, too. Yeah, so that's... You what, know, it, what's the method you teach? You, you just oh, did it in, like... Uh, yeah, it was, um, for a while, for the first couple of years, it was, uh, it was, it could get really, it could get, uh, what the burnout could be, could be crazy, right? Because you'd have the same two or three people who would show up every week to teach, um, for a whole hour before practice, you know, and, uh, after a while that gets hard and it was like, you never know when a new student's going to show up. So then each one of those two or three people had like four or five students and each of them was in a different place, you know? Mm-hmm. And so it's like, oh, and they would show up with different books, right? And so it's like, well, I'm teaching this one out of, you know, the Highland Tutor and I'm teaching this one out of, you know, the, the, the who knows what book that they got from, uh, you know, from, from the Middle East and stuff like that, right? Um, yeah, yeah. And so... And so it was so scattered. So what we've, what we've gotten to at this point, and I, and I like the system we have right now, is one thing that we did, it took us like a year and a half, but we actually developed our own book um, that's uh, pretty simple. Like it's intended to be used with an instructor. It's not like one that you could sit mm-hmm. down and read by yourself and go all the way through. But um, mm-hmm. it's out there available for free and everything. I'll put a link to it in the show notes. If anybody's putting together a band education program, then feel free to use it. But... Um, and this is just for piping. Yeah. We're working on something for drumming now, too. But once we had that book set up, then we were able to split the instruction in it up into three sections. There's like a beginner, an intermediate, and an advanced. And that is between starting on your practice chanter to being able to get onto your highland pipes with some common marches. And then we split each of those into 12 one-week segments. So now, right now what we do is we do two semesters. There's one in the spring and one in the fall. Each one is 12 weeks long. So that way we have the summer to just focus on competition and parades and stuff like that. Because gotcha. Gar- Garden Valley doesn't have any... Well, we started to apply for some grants and stuff, but most of our money is from graduations and parades. So summer gets busy. But um, So then over the 12 weeks, anybody who shows up, we've got a start date for it, right? And so if they want to show up at a different time, we can say, well, here's... You know, if they show up, you know, if they, they contact us four weeks into the semester, it's like, well, this semester has already started, but don't worry, the next semester will start in a few months. In the meantime, you can come to practice and listen, right? But we're just going to go, we're going to follow this schedule, right? This is what we're teaching this night for each of those three groups. And that way, yeah, I don't know if this is making sense in audio, right? But it just, it, adding that structure makes no, it so... it's very similar. No, you guys have some... Yeah, it's very on. similar to what we do. Yeah. Um, so our, uh, we started, basically, you have to start either January 1st, May 1st, or September 1st. So mm-hmm. three, four-month semesters. Um, with a similar kind of structure of uh, beginner, intermediate, and advanced learners, right? So I've never picked up the practice chanter all the way through. I can play, like, the scales and most of the doublings. Mm -hmm. Um, And then, like, Amazing Grace and the 2-4 set is intermediate. And then um, I'm going to try to blow up a set of bagpipes and finish out, like, the the parade sets is kind of the advanced class. Um, and similar idea, if somebody calls halfway through a semester, you're like, all right, you can join us in September, or we can set you up with a private teacher in town. Right, yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah, similar idea, and, uh, I'd be curious to see your checklist, because I've been developing one of my own, and, um, 
mostly we teach out of Sandy Jones' book, but I kind of have that checklist that I've got. Um, but I'm, I've been trying to put together a, a little series of YouTube videos to kind of, here's my thoughts on what's really important uh, and the, kind of the order that I teach my students uh, at using Sandy Jones' book as a supplement with because he's got a bunch of really good drills and, uh, you know, pictures and stuff in there that, that are... Well, dude, uh, let's collab. I want, I, want, I want to see your stuff. Yeah. Because ours still says work work in progress on the front page because, you know, when is it ever done, right? So. I'll, right. I'll, I'll show you mine. You show me yours, huh? Sounds good. Let's, let's trade. Oh, actually, JD, I was going to use you for an organic ad, too. Can I use you for an organic ad? Oh, okay. But before, before we finish, before we end on the more beautiful and sentimental note with the lovely song that you wrote for your, for your grandma, um, here's the organic ad. Have you heard of bagpipeswag.com? I have heard of bagpipeswag.com. Have you? Now, did, do, do you... Do you here's an even better opener do you have uh giant boxes full of randomly sized uh bagpipe band t-shirts and other paraphernalia in your taking up space in your garage and or shed i i do do you find that you don't have the time or energy to juggle multiple orders coming in from your band members from their family members from random people on the street and then trying to deliver their the, the shirts from your random boxes to the person in a timely manner Absolutely. Are you tired of the headache that all of this causes? It is such a pain. Well, you should try bagpipeswag.com. I, I probably should have written something out if I wanted to do an, an organic an, an organic ad. But then if it was written out, would it be organic? This is the thing that no, I'm trying no, to do. That... So, uh, yeah. I mean, I've seen, I've seen your, the website, and I literally actually I put uh, one of your t-shirts on my Christmas list so my wife knows something fun to get me. Oh, yeah. Um, I'm, I'll, send you a, but, I'll send you a discount code. Okay, good deal. Uh, but how does the, um, like, if, if I want my band to be one of the, you know, up there next to Garden Valley, does that, do you guys have, like, a, a supplier that sources everything automatically and that's ships exactly, it automatically? Or is, that's exactly That's it. awesome. So this is... This is Science the idea. This is still a work in progress. So let me just put that out there. But in order for the work in progress to like survive, I do need to start getting this out a little bit more. So I'm 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 a a little bit of a serial project starter. So basically, the idea is this: imagine, if you will, a farmer's market, but for pipe band merch. And what bagpipe yeah. swag is is this is me going to an empty field and saying I'm going to rent this field. And then I turn to the farmers, but in this case, it's pipe bands and trad bands and pipers and pipe makers and reed makers and anybody else who has anything to do with pipes and drums. And I say, come, my friends, set up your, set up your shops here on this field and sell your wares, right? So like the infrastructure of bringing water to the field and, and providing porta potties and all that kind of stuff, that's what Bagpipe Swag is handling. But we're talking about a website, right? So the web presence, um, some, some advertising on social media, the... Uh, production of the products, the shipping and fulfillment, the order, the the e-commerce, right? Card payments, PayPal, all that kind of stuff. That's all being taken care of by bagpipe swag. That's the marketplace, right? And so then all you need to do if you have a pipe band is say, I would like to set up a shop there. Come on over, set up a shop. And the whole idea is to take away all the worry about overhead and inventory and everything. So there's no cost to be listed on there or anything like that. Right now, and like I say, this is still an early, I'm still trying it out. But if you go to bagpipeswag.com right now, 
there are a few categories. One of them is in-house designs. So that's that's like my my little shop that I've set up on there, my my little farmer's market stand where I just sell cool bagpipe shirts and stuff that I think are cool anyway. Then there's artists and groups. So that would be stuff like, you know, trad groups, pipe soloists, um, bagpipe makers, anybody like that who wants to sell stuff. Uh, Podcast as well. Droning On has a shop on there. Um, And then there's pipe bands. And the idea there is competitive pipe bands, right? Right now, Garden Valley, the one that I play for, I've got them set up on there, but I don't have any other pipe bands there. But the space in this field is unlimited. Like, I will take any pipe band. And all I need is your logo and some some info for who to send the money to. And um, the the trade-off here, of course, is that, like, with your box of T-shirts... You know, like, I've been the t-shirt guy in the past for my band. That's why, that's where this idea came from. Like, we, because we had a pipe, a, a, a member in our band who had a connection to the local university's print shop, we were able to get mm-hmm. t-shirts made at a low cost, right? And so then our, our net, our net income per shirt, it was like, we were able to buy the shirts for like $15 and, and then we sold them for well, no, I think we bought them for like $12 and then sold them for 20 right? So so our net was yeah. like 8 bucks each, right? It wasn't taking... But that doesn't take into account all of my time, <laughs> right? Fulfilling orders right. and stuff, which just took forever. That, that's where we're at. Yeah. Is, uh, the, you know, if you're at a festival and somebody buys a shirt off you, great. But uh, if you buy too many shirts, you end up with boxes and boxes and boxes taking up space in somebody's right. garage for and you end years. up with all the odd sizes nobody wants the the exactly the 5xl and the and the double the double small and stuff like that we've gotten pretty good at ordering somewhere between like 100 and 150 shirts each year in kind of a, a bell curve of sizes mm-hmm. and the, that's about what we can sell in a year to a year and a half so mm-hmm. it's it's better than it has been we, but um, certainly would be nice to have some of those online sales handled automatically. Well, and that's one of the things too, is that like with the bagpipe swag idea, um, like a band like yours can still buy the box of shirts and sell them at festivals and stuff like that. It's not like you're giving over exclusive rights to sell your merch on this website. It's just an option. And that's so great. Sign us up. Deal. Deal. The, 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 the profit that a band can make on this is like, I feel hesitant to say it out loud, but right now it's still about five bucks a shirt. The band makes about five bucks a shirt and then bagpipe swag keeps whatever the difference is between, between that $5 and the actual net profit, which is usually between one and $4. So it's about five bucks to the band and then about two fifty on average to bagpipe swag. And that covers the, you know, SEO and hosting and e-commerce and all that stuff. How do I sign up? Yeah, uh, just email me after, man. I'll put notes uh, in the show notes for any other anybody who's listening who thinks that this sounds like a good idea. I think it is a good idea, but also I've pre I've basically pre purchased this field for one year, and if at the year mark I'm only losing money on it, it'll be hard to keep it going. So, <laughs> got to get in front of some people and see if some people want to try it to get it to survive. So, I'll send it out. That yeah. sounds good. All right. Well, I've kept, now I've kept you for a long time, and now I feel selfish because we ended with me making my pitch. So tell me, <laughs> do you have a title for this song that we're going to go out on? Uh, yeah. So the tune I wrote for my grandmother is um, she, she grew up in Georgia and um, then spent most of her life in Texas. And so I, I called it a Georgia peach and a Texas rose. Oh, and um, it's, uh, it's kind of a 
bit of a slow air. It's a, it's got it's a little peabrocky at times, but it, it's um it's kind of in a a D and it wanders through some minor keys and stuff. I I, I think it was uh, I, I had a a range of inspirations, but it was it was fun to to work with and write. To, and, uh,